Welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig. I'm the Executive Director of the Initiative and I'm joined today by our Operations Director, Chelsea Killick. And the two of us were interviewing Matt Burgess. Matt Burgess is a senior economist here at the Initiative. He's been looking at climate change policy for the last couple of years. And on Sunday this week, we are expecting the announcement of the Climate Commission, recommendations for climate policy in New Zealand for the next 15 years. And we thought this would be a really good opportunity to look at the setup of climate policy in New Zealand and really go back to the basics, ask what it's all about, ask what basic systems we have in place to deal with climate change and carbon emissions, and then in that context discuss what we can expect from the Climate Commission. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hi. Now, before we get into the announcement that we're expecting from the Climate Commission, let's just go back to the very basics. So we all know, of course, and we've known this for decades now, we have a climate change problem, we have got an emissions problem, we have international treaties that really um, legislate basically how much we have to reduce our emissions in New Zealand. What are the basic options for any country really to reduce carbon emissions? Well, countries have three basic options. Uh, the first is policy. Governments can subsidise or tax or regulate or ban different activities uh, according to their emissions. Example today of the government proposing uh, standards for vehicle imports. That's uh, a one way to affect emissions. A second option for governments is to use prices. Governments can essentially put a tax on emissions. The reason we have too much emissions, the reason climate change is a problem, is because its pollution's been free. Uh, no charge for spewing your filthy emissions into the atmosphere. Uh, governments can fix that problem uh, and bring emissions uh, down by putting a tax on. The third option for governments is to cooperate with other countries. Um, uh, in the end, countries can work together, uh, and one country can take credit for emissions reductions that actually occur uh, with activities that occur in another country. And, and when it comes to cutting emissions via taxing it, via putting a price on it, there are, again, different ways of doing that. So you can have a classical carbon tax or you could have basically the system New Zealand has an emissions trading scheme. Can you explain how that trading scheme works? So I'm, I'm always surprised that... Um, more people haven't heard of the emissions trading scheme. It's been around since 2008. New Zealand has a genuinely world-class system. I think our system was the first in the world to cover um, all greenhouse gases and it was set up to cover all sectors of the economy. But it doesn't actually. It doesn't include agriculture at the moment. At right? the moment, agriculture remains outside the emissions trading scheme. I think it's going to come in at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but what does it actually do? Okay, so the goal of the emissions trading scheme is to reduce emissions. The way it does it is through something called cap and trade. Cap mm. and trade um, is a system that can be pointed at lots of things. Um, it, it is a way to regulate other forms of pollution. Uh, we use it here in New Zealand to regulate greenhouse gases. So the way that it works is through the issue and trading of emissions permits. The government decides how many tonnes of greenhouse gases um, will be allowed to be emitted from New Zealand. It then gives effect to that to a cap um, by issuing um, uh, emissions units, one unit per tonne of emissions. Once those permits are issued, it's then up to businesses um, 
who trade these permits on behalf of their customers. Uh, businesses have to make a fundamental decision. How many permits am I going to buy? Am I going to buy? Versus how many tons of emissions am I going to cut? The permits trade for a price. The higher the price, the less willing a business is to pay the price of the permit and the more willing the business is to reduce its emissions. So with these businesses, why do normal Kiwis don't know about this? I don't think anybody knows and understands that. Okay, so the, the not everybody participates in the emissions trading scheme. Probably um, anyone listening to this hasn't got on to a market platform and bought some emissions permits. You can do it if you want. Um, in fact, I have, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, anybody can buy and sell permits. A few businesses in the country, about 2,500 of them, are actually obliged to participate in the emissions trading scheme. So here's how the emissions trading scheme works. A few businesses buy and sell permits, um, and what they're doing is doing that on behalf of their customers. So when you buy petrol, your car will produce emissions, but you don't have to go to a market and buy permits yourself. Your petrol company does that for you because even though they're not the ones doing the combustion, they know exactly how many uh, kilograms of emissions will be produced when your car um, burns that petrol. So petrol companies trade the permits on your behalf, they add the cost of those permits to the price of the petrol. This happens for just about every good and service across the entire economy. Now, the really clever thing about the emissions trading scheme is that it is able, it concentrates its efforts on the points of the points at which carbon comes into the economy, whether it's by digging coal out of the ground, oil and gas out of the ground, importing of goods, um, petrol imports, they're taxed at the border, and once they're taxed, then they pass through the economy, because there's only so many, you've, once you've taxed a ton, um, the carbon once, you don't need to tax it again. So the emissions trading scheme is able to cover 96% of GDP, um, by concentrating on only a very few places in the economy. It's okay. incredibly efficient. So the way that it cuts emissions is that it adds a surcharge to every good and service in the economy in proportion to the emissions that are associated with that. Customers are then confronted with this emissions-adjusted price and change their behaviour accordingly. Yep. Now, here's the key thing. A lot of people, the main source of scepticism about the emissions trading scheme is just a disbelief, I think, that consumers will actually respond to the change in prices uh, and that consumers are going to change their behaviour to reduce emissions. Here's a reason to think that the emissions trading scheme actually will change behaviour. Once the government's decided how many, what the cap is, how many permits it's issued, how many tonnes of emissions there should be, the emissions trading scheme will simply raise the price of permits as high as it needs to go in order to cut emissions to bring it within that cap. If it has to go to $200 a tonne, that's what it will do. Now, right. of course, um, it, you know, at some point something will happen, it, it can't go any higher. But in practice, um, our emissions trading scheme is able to meet the cap um, at a current price of $38, which is perfectly tolerable. Um, so even if consumers make mistakes, even if consumers... Most consumers don't even know there's an ETS. Right. But in the end, they're confronted with prices that have an ETS component and that's all it takes to induce a change in behaviour. And the emissions trading scheme, the way that it works, it will just squeeze hard enough until the emissions come down enough to fit within the cap. So you're saying that basically every New Zealand consumer filling their cars or switching on the lights at home, heating their homes, is already participating in the emissions trading scheme and they wouldn't even know it. 
That's right. Now, so I think a really big objection to the emissions trading scheme is that it can't be working because we're still driving our cars. You've got to be aware that the emissions trading scheme bites really hard in certain places and not very hard in most other places. One of the places it doesn't have to bite very hard is in the price of filling up your car. Your car doesn't actually produce that much emissions every year, about two tonnes a year. It's a fairly modest amount. Other things produce enormous amounts of emissions. They get hit really hard by the emissions trading scheme. Probably the thing that gets hit hardest is coal-fired generation. So just to give you a sense of proportions, the emissions trading scheme currently adds about nine cents to the cost of um, a a litre of petrol. It's about a 4% increase on the price of petrol. Obviously, that's only going to have a moderate effect on driving behaviour. The the same emissions trading scheme at $38 a tonne raises the cost of generating um, a given amount of uh, electricity by 62%. Okay? So the emissions training scheme hits high-emitting activities hardest, um, and it concentrates its efforts um, into, has its greatest effect in places where um, emissions are high and there's a ready alternative. So that is a scheme New Zealand has. That's Mm -hmm. a scheme that we've had since, I think, 2008. The government introduced a cap last year, so a hard cap prescribing how much the country will emit in any given year, and I believe every year, of course, that cap is going down. That's right. Because we want to comply with our international obligations. Now, the question from a policy perspective is then, what else can we do on top of such a scheme? Could we, once we've got a cap and trade scheme, an emissions trading scheme, introduce additional carbon taxes or subsidies or regulations in order to cut even more of our emissions? Or are there some compatibility problems? So, the key thing about an emissions trading scheme is uh, the cap, is the cap, is the cap. So in the end, for the areas of the economy covered by the emissions trading scheme, total emissions are solely determined by how many permits the government issues. Other things don't affect total emissions. could affect where emissions are cut, but in the end, total emissions are time determined by how many permits are in play. So everything else doesn't affect total emissions. Things like policy. Mm-hmm. So if the government prescribes, for example, um, to introduce a subsidy for electric vehicles, mm-hmm. no effect on carbon emissions? No effect on total carbon emissions. Okay, so let's just work through how it plays out. Yes. Let's say the government decides to subsidise electric vehicles. Well, it already is. Uh, and let's say somebody buys an electric vehicle and junks their old their old petrol vehicle. Obviously, the emissions, their emissions are going to go down. Great. What's the effect? Well, they or their petrol company now needs fewer emissions permits. What happens to those permits? They don't disappear. They go back into the system, or they never get taken out in the first place. They're going to be used by somebody else. The permits price will fall ever so slightly, and that will have the effect of inducing a slight increase in emissions somewhere else in the economy. Every tonne of emissions cut by your emissions vehicle subsidy is offset exactly under a binding emissions training scheme by higher emissions elsewhere. So the key thing is that once you've got an emissions trading scheme that has capped emissions, other policies you do alongside that in the area of the economy covered by the emissions trading scheme can have no further effect on emissions. Pretty key point when the government's announcing billion dollar vehicle uh, emission standards as they did this morning, uh, the fact that you have an ETS sitting there that's going to completely neutralise the effect of that announcement really should be um, something that's front and centre 
really should have the intention of um, officials, Climate Change Commission, the Prime Minister, when they talk about climate change. So let me just clarify this a little bit. If you, as the government, first set a cap, then you subsidise something like electric vehicles, the price of the emission certificates is falling because um, there will be certificates released that can be then used by other people. So actually, what you're doing then is you're subsidising emitters. You are reduce when you when you put somebody in an electric vehicle, you are reducing demand for emissions permits. Emissions permits prices must fall. That will have the effect of raising emissions by your average V8 owner, your average coal plant, whatever. You can have higher emissions from um, emitters elsewhere in the economy. That's right. So in that sense, it's a totally perverse outcome of that policy intervention. You saw the same thing in Europe. Uh, Germany spent half a trillion euro um, uh, to subsidise solar and wind generation. Germany's part of the European ETS. The effect of that huge investment was to send billions of dollars of subsidies to Polish coal generators. Now, I understand this is not a new discovery that you just had, um, that these two policies don't really go together. There have been other economists and institutions saying the same over the years, is that right? We've had the IPCC. Uh, That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That's right. Um, obviously, one of the leading lights in this whole space saying, if you've got an ETS, other policies aren't going to work. Uh, I think senior figures in, in the European um establishment uh, saying similar things. I think it's been acknowledged here um, as well. Uh, here it's called the waterbed effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just extraordinary uh, how little it seems to be recognised by officials uh, and how little weight it seems to have um, in policy discussion. It actually is probably entirely killing the benefits of pretty much all the policies that um, the government has and will be working on over the next few years. It really should be um, taken more seriously. And I guess that brings us then to the announcement we're expecting from the Climate Commission on Sunday. So you just mentioned we have international obligations, we are cutting our emissions, we have an emissions trading scheme designed to do just that for us. So what purpose really does the Climate Commission have then? Well, let's talk about the, what the tasks are for a start. Um, on Sunday it's going to deliver uh, three emissions budgets. They'll cover 15 years. Um, they will uh, tell the government what New Zealand's emissions reduction should be in terms of the number of tonnes of emissions over the next 15 years. Um, and then the Commission will give advice on direction of travel in terms of where um, policy, ETS, offshore mitigation how those three things should be used to cut emissions. The, obviously, um, look, all of those things are going to be in play. The, the Commission will say the emissions trading scheme needs to be used. But the Commission's going to talk a lot about policy, and I think it's going to concentrate its um, attention on transport and uh, industrial heating. Now, here's what I think is going on. I think everybody acknowledges that um, the emissions trading scheme is having some effect. I think the, the view generally is that it won't be enough to achieve our targets. And I think overarching all of this is a view that the emissions trading scheme doesn't target reduced emissions in the right place. Uh, I think there's a view that emissions should be coming down in transport. Transport's responsible for about 20% of New Zealand's emissions. The emissions trading scheme isn't having much impact there. Um, and we, the government wants to see emissions uh, coming down from transport and not from other places necessarily. I mean, it wants to see it everywhere, but it 
also wants to see it coming down in transport as well. That's not happening under the ETS. The government's going to use policy to force uh, reductions there. Now, there's a very good reason why emissions, the emissions trading scheme is not targeting emissions reductions in transport. Transport's, at the moment, a very high-cost way to reduce emissions. It's just not competitive um, as a way to reduce emissions compared to reducing use of coal, uh, increasing the use of trees, and someday reducing um, emissions from agriculture. Why, Matt, why, why do they leave out the agriculture? Why is it... Well, that's political. So um, agriculture earns half of our foreign exchange. Um, it's um, you know it's four percent of GDP, um, but it's a fair chunk. Um, and you know farmers have political clout; they're well organised. Um, and there's no doubt that uh, a carbon price over a short to medium term would have a massive impact um, on particularly dairy, but also sheep. Uh, that doesn't mean it's impossible. Um, yeah, look, there's a lot you can talk about. I think uh, the right way to deal with agriculture is through a price rather than through top-down regulation. The government's certainly thinking about how to reduce emissions um, in agriculture through policy. Uh, the Climate Change Commission's been thinking about soil capture, um, carbon capture, types of um, technology and other um, products that farmers use all towards uh, reducing emissions. The best way to cut emissions in farming or anywhere else is through a price. That doesn't mean farmers need to pay $38 a tonne like the rest of us uh, through an emissions trading scheme. You know, there's good research from overseas that suggests that even even the promise, the credible promise that farmers will at some point come into the emissions trading scheme um, or coming in and paying a price of only $1 or $2 a tonne could have a real impact uh, on emissions. It could just nudge quite a few farmers just by enough to convince them to convert to um, lower emissions farming from cows to sheep, for example, or from livestock over to horticulture or some other, or forestry or whatever. Um, because agriculture has been outside the emissions trading scheme, I think there's going to be an awful lot of low-hanging fruit um, that could be um, accessed, you know, real redis- uh, emissions reductions uh, at very for very little pain as long as the process is well managed, well signalled, um, and handled uh, capably, which I think actually James Shaw has demonstrated he can do. So, just to return to what you said earlier, so the government and the Climate Commission believe we need to reduce the emissions from transport, mm-hmm. but you just explained earlier that whatever emissions you reduce, they will just go to some other part of the economy where the price will be lowered for emission certificates, and therefore the total emissions won't change. That's right. So, is it? basically senseless what the commission is going to produce on Sunday because it doesn't actually have this ultimate effect on carbon emissions. Yes, I think it is fundamentally senseless. I think fundamentally um, it's going to be hugely expensive and all of that additional expense over and above the costs that we would have paid if we just simply allowed the ETS to do its work, all of that additional expense will be pure waste because in the end we'll um, achieve exactly the same reduction in emissions. It's just that through policy, we're forcing the, those reductions to uh, happen through high-cost channels. So um, so uh, if I understand you correctly, even the cost-benefit analysis wouldn't really make much sense in, in this instance because um, there are no benefits. Uh, that's right, but there's still the question of just how many... Just the costs. Just how much <laughs> that cost is. Now, I think we're talking, you know, because we're talking um, decades of, yeah. you know, 
there's a lot of time here. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars of extra cost. Okay, no, nope. it's a big number. And look, I have to. We do need to say that if the government um, did the right thing and just allowed emissions to be cut from how and where is the least cost, wherever that is in the economy, um, eventually emissions, you know, eventually emissions um, transport will be targeted um, as the next cheapest way to cut emissions. Look, in the end... But it will happen automatically. It'll happen automatically. Let's just go back to basics here. In the end, New Zealand has to cut emissions. It's got a number of tonnes of emissions it needs to reduce it. It's got um, dates by which that has to happen. The government doesn't need to care about where in the economy emissions come from. Really the question is they have to come down and we'd always prefer a given amount of emissions to come down at least less cost rather than more cost. Override The only effect of overriding um, the emissions trading scheme and forcing emissions um, to come down through transport rather than through somewhere else in the economy, because remember, every tonne of emissions that's cut in transport because of policy is going to be offset by one extra tonne of emissions somewhere else in the economy, you're just paying more, and probably... 10 to 100 times more. We'll see how much the Commission's um, analysis the Commission has done. They should be revealing how much more we're going to pay. They may not. If they don't, we will. What about international trade? You know, why can't we trade with international markets, ETS? <laughs> that is a great question. In principle, we can. So the, the principle that says, look, we should just cut emissions um, wherever it's cheapest within the economy, that principle um, extends um, automatically and easily to um, the whole world. Uh, in the end... Climate change is the global problem. Exactly. Uh, New Zealand can make its contribution by reducing emissions. Uh, it doesn't matter where the actual activity happens. New Zealand can make its contribution and be recognised for that contribution under our international agreements, um, even if the actual activity occurs on the ground in Brazil, Peru, Switzerland, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter in any sense where the emissions come down. The question only is that they come down and that it's genuine and robust and additional. Um, and yet we have a government policy here that's focused, um, uh, I want to say almost exclusively, that's probably too strong, but it puts a great deal of emphasis on which sector. Uh, Firstly, emissions, a great deal of emphasis that emissions come down here and not on the other side of the international border. Secondly, that emissions come down in transport and industry, um, but less so in forestry, agriculture. Can I ask then, internationally, I mean, how bad is our emissions compared to the rest of the world? Uh, we our emissions are high, right. uh, you know. We've got to focus on dairy, so emissions per head, I think, sixteen tons per head per year. Um, that's high by international standards. I think um, our emissions have been flat for the last fifteen years, more or less. So we are high, but in the end, the question is, how do we get from where we are um, to where we need to be over the next um, ten to thirty years? Um, and what's the most effective way to do that? Okay. What you've just explained is probably well known to quite a few economists, but the broader public probably would have never heard of the emissions trading scheme. They have no idea what's going on. They will get the recommendations from the Climate Commission on Sunday, and they wouldn't even know the background of that announcement. My impression is that um, in um, political circles and business circles, um, there is a little bit of understanding of it, but not much. So what chance is there really to arrive at a rational outcome for climate change policy when the majority of people and even people actually within business and politics are not precisely aware of the workings of the schemes? And if I could ask that question on top of that, the current scheme, of course, was introduced by James Shaw, the um, climate change minister, um, and he perfected the ETS last year with a cap 
when he built on work of his predecessors, going back to the Clark government and David Parker. But James Shaw is a is a clever guy, a, a good climate change minister, and someone who actually understands how this works. And still, we're getting these incompatibilities in the setup of climate change policy. How would you explain that? It's it's quite hard to know, actually. I agree with you um, on Shaw and his capability, and I think his, his good intent. Um, he... I think he's been a star of this government. I think um, his reforms of the ETS were one of the shining lights of this government's first term. My best guess is politics. In the end, the emissions trading scheme, you know, it's a victim of its own success in some way. It does its work invisibly. Um, if you don't look for its effects, you won't see it. The government, it's just extraordinary. The emissions trading scheme price on carbon has quadrupled since 2016, but nobody's actually done a formal study to check how much effect that's had. Overseas studies have shown very strong effects from emissions trading schemes there. Our scheme is um, stronger than the schemes in Europe and Britain, and we should expect um, at least a strong effect here from um, the high prices on the ETS over the last few years. The ETS may well be having quite a dramatic effect on our emissions, and nobody knows it. Now, that's important to know when you're a Climate Change Commission tasked with the job of working out how much heavy lifting the emissions trading scheme should do over the next 15 years versus policy. I think the Commission um, has badly underestimated how good the emissions trading scheme is and will be, uh, and as a result it's going to give policy too much work to do over the next 15 years, uh, and as we've said, because that policy is going to be working uh, alongside an emissions trading scheme that's binding, all of those billions of dollars of policy will have no additional effect on emissions. At this point, it's too much to hope that officials will suddenly find their senses and, and start to look at the emissions trading scheme in a more sensible, evidence-based way. What would be good is if Shaw was willing to put some processes in place that can help reveal uh, how effective the emissions trading scheme has been and also to bring more attention to the problems that policy is having. As Minister for Climate Change, it would be great to see James Shaw demanding a cost-benefit analysis um, of every emissions policy, both before it's implemented and after, and a willingness, you know, a commitment in principle um, and in practice to either fix or kill policies that cost more than, say, $200 a tonne. Um, it's insane that uh, you're willing to pay $1,500 a tonne, which the government is doing regularly, when you've got an emissions trading scheme that's um, cutting emissions for $38 a tonne. Sorry, you might have mentioned this before, but why was the Commission set up if we've got the CTS and Shaw is capable of managing this? The core functions of the Commission are to give advice to the government on um, emissions budgets, um, on plans for how emissions should be reduced, and they have a monitoring function. They actually measure, well, so, they've so got a very specific monitoring function. Work, I mean, will they monitor the you know, the ETS, or are they monitoring Well, they, they monitor total emissions. We, the initiative, advocated that they also be asked to monitor the performance of specific policies, how many tonnes each policy actually cuts. It seems like the obvious thing to give an independent climate change commission. They'd be really good at it. Um, and surely any government who thinks climate change is emergency wants to know which policies are cutting emissions and which ones aren't. Uh, I remember the look on Duncan Webb's face, who was chairing the Environment Committee, when I made that suggestion. Um, he laughed and said, no, we're not going to do that. I think, you know, I think the commission, well, the commission's independent, but I think it's to be a source of political pressure to do more on climate. It is not there to create accountability for results from emissions policies. 
Uh, I think um, that should be its function, but it's not. But it's there to constant, give a constant stream of advice to this and future governments that says climate change is a really big problem, you should be doing more. I think that's why it's there. Well, we'll look at the announcement on Sunday. Uh, we'll see what the Commission will actually recommend for the economy. And in the meantime, I think our role and your task at the initiative will be to keep educating the public and politicians, decision makers, mm. on the workings of climate change policy. And uh, for now, thank you very much for enlightening us and for telling us about the basics of climate change policy in New Zealand. And we look forward to your commentary once we got the recommendations from the Climate Commission. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Thanks Chelsea. And we'll hear you next time. Mm.